really cool like god moment this week i went to our i, I had a bad day on friday to be honest uh mm-hmm. just you get it when you priests have bad days sometimes right it's not what all, oh my days are good ex- and happy none it's of my days, days are sad they are all happy <laughs> Sorry, it's not ahead. all. It's not all <laughs> ecstatic moments of, uh, you know, unitive prayer. Exactly. Yeah. That's only half the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was. Uh, I had a bad day, and it was. We had adoration that night till seven because it was first Friday. It's something I started, and I just wanted to crawl up on my couch and lie there afterwards. But I said to my principal that I would go to her staff party thing that she was having for the beginning of the year with all the staff. So I went. I said I'll show up for an hour. So I go there. I grab a beer talking with some teachers and one of the teachers comes up and asks me about the CCO face study that I want to do. It's like a, it's kind of like alpha except for university students is the target audience. I don't know what any of those things are. You don't know what alpha is? No. I mean, I'm pretty alpha. I'm kidding. I have no idea. What is this? Really? Oh, (laughs) alpha is like an introduction to Christianity, a a way to hear the kerygma essentially. Yeah. So the program I'm doing is called discovery. It's like a six week course. Mm-hmm. So one of the t- one of the staff members comes and asks me about it, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. So I uh, so we're talking, and then uh, another staff member asks a little bit more about it, and saying that sounds more like she- what she wants. And then I let it drop that I was kind of a, a sort of convert, and then all of a sudden I had a room of twelve staff members all listening to me preach about how God touched my life and oh, talking yeah. about the, the room just got talk, quiet and everyone focused yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how he brings us new life. And I suddenly now have twelve staff members signed up for my CCO face study. Hell yeah. That's awesome. And I was like, that's a God moment. Yeah. Look at that. So that was that God is good, you know. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And so how was your week? It was good. So Twitter keeps bleeding in to my real life. <laughs> and, and, and in many ways it's 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 not good, but in some ways it's kind of fun. So Yeah. Um just last a few days ago, I was on um Taylor Schroll's podcast. It's called Forte Catholic. And um he had me on there. And he had me on there with another priest named Father Jared. And he had us go head to head to figure out who was his fa- favorite priest. And so the game we played was, um, quote, we had to figure out if the quote was from, from Dwayne the Rock Johnson or St. Peter the Rock of the Church. So mm-hmm. he would name a quote and like we have to pick. And I was depressingly bad at this, at figuring out if this was either Dwayne the Rock Johnson or Peter ended up in the tie. So that happened. And then yeah. what else happened? Oh, so I also got to be on uh, Bearded Blevins' Twitter stream because I play video games, as I think I've mentioned here before. Yeah. So he had yeah. a bunch of uh, Catholic Twitter people play Fortnite with him, and uh, we were pretty terrible. Like, there are a few people who were kind of <laughs> good, but I was bad. It was embarrassing. I can see you being terrible at things. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not that hard to imagine. Normally, I'm, I'm not quite as bad, but that happened. And then finally... Um, because of I've gotten to know um, Sean McAfee. He's the editor at, of um, Epic Pew. Uh, I got a connection mm-hmm. through him. It looks like I'll be going to Poland next year. Oh, cool. To do like a pilgrimage? Yeah, right? Nice. Yeah, like a pilgrimage sort of thing. And they're like, hey, we need a priest. So still working on the details of that, but that's what... I'm kind of jealous because Poland is my favorite country in Europe. I'm excited. I've never been, so... I'm going to go there and probably buy a whole bunch of vestments and it'll be delightful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really inexpensive there. 
Nice. And it's good quality. It's good quality. Oh, Krakow. I've spent about a month total in Krakow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, you're, you're going to love it. I'm mm. kind of jealous. Uh, why don't we go right into Summa Logica? What do you think? I think we definitely should. But I also just want to like, so we record these twice, two podcasts per recording, right? Right. So when we recorded last two weeks, we had no idea what the bumper for Summa Logica was going to sound like, <laughs> right? No idea. Right. And it, yeah. I think it's probably the best part of our podcast. Yeah, I think so. So for anyone who missed the tweets, that is sung by our excellent producer, at Papa Sharapa, also known as Nicholas Sharapa. Exactly. So that's all him. He did all the parts. He, so, he got the music together, everything. Yep. It's, uh, it's His idea. Everyone thought it was you. Yeah, I know. I was like, and I've got you know a decent falsetto, but not quite that nice. So that was that was pretty stellar. And actually, I forgot to just mention one last thing before we go into it. Actually, yeah. uh, it's been a month now. A month. Yeah, we've been doing this for a month. Yeah, hey, yeah, we've got like four whole episodes. I know. It's almost like it's a real podcast. I know, exactly. It's exciting. Let's do it. Let's hit the Summa Tweetalogica. Summa Tweetalogica. Summa Tweetalogica. Summa Tweetalogica. Summa Tweetalogica. Let's talk tweets. Yes. Let's talk tweets. I I got a whole lot here. There is. There are a lot of interesting tweets. There's a lot of good stuff this week. I want to start off one. Actually, I just saw just before we started. Mm -hmm. It was someone put up a photos, I guess, from the Wallsale Healthcare. This is from at a Chanticleer. And it was, would you give up this? It's the image of a PlayStation controller for this. And it's the image of a pacifier. Oh, right, yeah. Beware the baby trap. Use a condom. And it's got another one for women. Would you give up the uh, the uh, pumps and lipstick for the for the pacifier? Yeah. Pacifier. Use emer- use, and we still get we can get you emergency contraception. And I was like, this is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's horribly depressing because the the power behind that advertisement is that it assumes the answer is super obvious yeah that having a kid is definitely going to ruin your life right exactly it's ridiculous you know and i mean i I was kind of joking too i'm like well that's why i became a priest so i can still have the video games but no honestly no and for me it's also this uh it it kind of embodies this materialism idea of, of video games or a baby right <laughs> which one's more important or and, and it's also um way it's kind of very stereotypic of both sexes mm-hmm. what about the woman who's a scholar who doesn't may not you know some people don't care about the pumps and the lipstick and they're a doctor or whatever um why is it these things particular or the video game like it's 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 a little too emblematic of of stereotypes for men and women too i thought i was just like this is it was disgusting. It's showing about um, the economic element of 
of, of it all that we just look at this in dollars and senses, right? Like by having a child, you're going to lose out on what's fun in life. Oh, yeah. And also the idea that like in order to be yourself, you can never give of yourself. Exactly. Which is the opposite of what we know. Like exactly. to really become who you are, you have to give yourself away and sacrifice. Exactly. So yeah. like that about the human person. But also on top of that, like you and I both know good families that have kids and still have a social life. And mm-hmm. um, like it, it, it's definitely work. But I know a lot of good families, they'll help each other, take care of each other's kids. And you can still mm-hmm. have, you know, all this is part of a, of a well-lived holistic life, right? So you have to keep that in mind. Kids are good. And the people who have them are good people and worth promoting. So I've got a tweet here. And I thought yep. it was funny because I mentioned on our last podcast that Nicholas Sharapa, our producer, is single. And this got <laughs> a lot of feedback like everyone's apparently everyone's grandmother who listens to this podcast only heard that there's a single guy catholic guy out there right yeah so this is from uh riley at riley mc catholic and she says i feel like it was so risky for at clerical pod to advertise at papa sharapa's singleness singleness yikes and uh, i'm gonna do it again because i'll be perfectly honest i want two things for my brother one whatever god wills for him but two for him to get married to somebody so that I can have nieces and nephews, right? right? right. Just on a totally selfish level, yeah. you know, I'm all about my brother getting married. Exactly. And it's our job as priests to promote mm-hmm. vocations and to promote good Absolutely. marriages. And Nick's a good guy who's got a good job working for the church. Working yeah, for the church. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we, what's his phone number? Uh, I think we'll stop right there. <laughs> you can you can try to see if you can uh, slip into his DMs, but that's that's, that's as far as we'll go. As I want completely. Yeah, uh, we'll slip into right. DMs, but yeah, that was. <laughs> we got a lot of we got a lot of comments on that. The fact that we had that we had mentioned that. So right, yeah. So I'm mentioning it even stronger now. Yeah. So if you're relatively normal and Catholic, go date my brother. Exactly. Right. Those are my requirements. <laughs> I got to talk about this one because it actually caused a bit of heat on Twitter. From the man you just mentioned, Bearded Blevins, mm-hmm. checks email. Hi, my name is Blank, and I'm a Catholic hip-hop artist, and I would love to come and speak at your delete. Yeah. And I was... I wanted to hit the like so much on that one for a multitude of reasons. Uh, and number one is because I hate self-promotion. Absolutely, yeah. It... Yeah, if you guys want to ever talk to some of the priests I talk to on Twitter, they will tell you this stuff gets my blood boiling. I it riles me up. I I get angry because if it's something that God really wants from you, if it's something that God really wants in your life, He's going to make it grow on His own, and to trust that His grace is going to move that ministry to grow. Sending off emails to promote yourself as a, a things, I think personally, is a bit much. Yeah, but someone else brought up the point of like how else do you do this? Like, is there anything wrong right. with like offering your services, you know, just putting yourself out there? Like right. there also is the, a, a normal human element to this. Like mm-hmm. how do you make yourself known that you're willing to do this? You go ahead and tell people. Um, mm-hmm. So there's something to that, right? I, I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. I, str- I really, I don't know. I really struggle with this because it's not about promoting what you do. It's mm-hmm. about promoting the gospel. Yeah. And it's not about promoting your services, it's about promoting the gospel. And I think I th- for me it's 
offer your services more locally first. Be at service to your local church. Yeah. Why do local churches struggle uh, so much with getting people in the pews and everything? It's because we everyone else is trying too much to be a national speaker or a national yeah. music artist. Off work in your parish. Offer your services there. And if it's something people will want, it's gonna grow from there by word of mouth. I I I really work hard. I don't know. I I hear that and I get that ministry has a professional element to it too. Mm -hmm. I just I feel like we're getting too much yep. into the advertising element of it all. And maybe if it wasn't so pronounced as it is, I might not react as strongly. <laughs> But that's okay, but also another part of this, and let's yes. let's not pretend, is that we all wanted to make fun of the idea of Catholic hip hop. That is the other one, right? That's part of the reason, and we offended some people who are very into Catholic hip hop about that because we just poo pooed the whole idea of that. But you had a good like a whole like hip hop yeah. aside, uh, you had a very good um, little thread about putting Catholic yeah. in front of things. Like this is a Catholic version of that. And you went yeah. off on that whole idea and that whole concept, yeah. right? I yeah, I, I actually I kind of summarized it in another tweet where I said Dante didn't call his divine comedy Catholic poetry. Yeah, <laughs> he just wrote poetry, right? He just wrote poetry, right? If mm -hmm. it's good and true and beautiful, it will the Catholicness of it all will manifest itself. When you try to put in the form of, or when you try to put in the content, the content and form is a big thing for me as a theologian. What yeah. you say is just as important as how you say it. And so when you put the content of Catholicism into it, not all forms are adaptable to it. And not all forms are going to take it in properly and to allow it to, um, to allow it to really portray the content truthfully and in a beautiful way. So for example, yeah. if we're going to go at the hip hop thing, I think hip hop as a culture and as a musical form is inhibits the ability to proclaim the gospel so that's my mm -hmm. two cents of it it's the same thing with death metal you know you're not gonna yeah. you know Hail Mary! it doesn't work <laughs> i don't right? know you might be on to something there that sounds pretty pretty good also it reminds me of something that um flannery o'connor said about um um about the way she writes because she was mm -hmm. talking about doing an essay on the index mm -hmm. um which was around i guess when she was writing um, like, is this a bad thing? Does this stifle um, Catholic um, literature? And she said, right. absolutely not. Because because of the index, she can just write literature. Exactly. She can just try to write the truth. And if the church says, no good, then she doesn't have to worry about it. Like, it's yeah. not on her soul. Like, oh, good, the church is doing this service for me, and I can just write, just yeah. attempt to write truth. I think yeah. there's something about that. Totally. Uh, cool. Okay, so this was... Yeah, I got one more, and we might get into this a little bit, because it was... A big deal. Um, so it was in the news a little bit, uh, but this is from uh, Father Ryan Hildebrand, who I, I think we both interact with on Twitter mm -hmm. a bit. And he was uh, quoting this news story, and he says, I'm very proud of the Mundelein men right now. Also, the fact that the rector didn't go on record to defend his eminence is significant. So what happened was um, Bishop uh, Supich had a meeting with the seminarians at Mundelein. Yeah to kind of discuss everything that's been going on. And uh, the seminarians, it sounds like, asked good questions and pressing questions, and which that certainly took a lot of courage to do that, to um, you know, ask a bishop those sort of things. Yep. But um, after that whole experience, 
they went to a newspaper with yeah. the car, with the bishop's you know, responses. And this yeah. this is going to be kind of polarizing. And we talked a lot about this with our with our priest friends as well, because um, a lot of people were applauding um, these men, like their courage and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, okay, I'll just speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I did not like this. Mm-hmm. I did not like this at all. And the reason was because of the nature of what was going on. So the bishop decided to have this meeting with the seminarians, and he gave them an opportunity to speak honestly. And the seminarians, they did, from what looks like their questions. And that takes a lot of courage. Don't get me wrong, because, man, seminarians have it really tough. Let's be perfectly honest. It's a very difficult position to be in. They have given their whole lives, their whole lives. They've, a lot of times they've left yeah. jobs or whatever else, left certain relationships in order to be in the seminary. And their whole yeah. fate is kind of in the hands on a certain level of their formators. Yeah. And I don't know if this was the case with you in seminary. And the bishop. But it was like with me. And the bishop, exactly. Um, there's sometimes this, this fear that if you do the wrong thing or if you say the wrong thing, you're going to get kicked out. You're going to lose your vocation. And I'll, I'll say more about that idea in a second. But that's, mm-hmm. that's out there, right? That's all I'll say, you know, these men are good, courageous men for even entering the seminary. And then on top of that, asking these questions. But that form, the bishop was trusting these men, and he gave honest answers. Now, did I like his answers? No. I haven't liked any of this bishop's answers. You know, the things mm-hmm. that we've seen in the news, it's yeah. all, to use the buzzword, tone deaf and, and kind of painful to hear. Yeah. But there was trust in that. Yep. And I feel like that trust was broken. Yep. And that is terrible training for to be a priest and to have a relationship with your bishop. Yeah. To then go to the news with this totally. meeting. I I agree. If the bishop said something that was really, um, I would say maybe threatening to what it means to be a seminarian, like, or, you know, hey, I want you, you, you know what's going on here. I want you don't, if you talk to anyone type of, like, whatever, you know, like if yeah. there's, they're trying to hide a secret, that's different. Yeah. But it was an open and honest conversation. There was nothing newsworthy of the conversation, I would say, because I don't think it reveals anything new about what he's said from the past. It kind of just reiterating the same old, same old. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. not fair, especially like, you know, I have to give credit because I know this bishop is meeting with his priest right now and I haven't heard any new story Mm -hmm. because I'm grateful that the there's a level that towards this whole transparency thing that it, it, it we have to be careful about going too far one direction to the point where it's like because what it's showing i mean if i was that bishop i wouldn't want to ordain any guy from that seminary because i'd be too afraid to be them, honest right? like i, I wouldn't don't... trust those the, the men who went there and like mm-hmm. it's a complicated issue but i wouldn't want to be in the meeting with them exactly and not that i would say anything damning or that I have anything yeah. to hide but that yeah. shows a certain level of of distrust and you need to have yeah. some of that this is exactly. not to say we cover terrible things up yeah right yeah it, it and it's tough because whenever you try to speak speak in some kind of nuance about these things it's difficult because there's so many emotions and it's so charged and exactly. it's so serious yeah but we can't afford not to exactly and you know that that trust that was broken in that house and i don't know what that that house is like or mm-hmm. what's the atmosphere in the house i don't know but everything in my gut told me this is not good for those men's formation. It can't be. And, the and the other thing is, it can't be good for them. And it paints 
all the seminarians with that brush now because they don't know who exactly. it is who went to there. Yep. And the rector was right to offer no comment. Yes, I agree. The rector was right to offer no comment. Not everything that a bishop says is always meant to be publicly known. And we don't have a right to all that. He didn't say anything that was yeah. controversial. And, and then it, it yeah. Uh, like our bishop had a meeting with us, uh, with the priest, and it was a very intense meeting. And guys spoke openly and honestly and yeah. aggressively, yeah. but they all felt comfortable doing that because this was there was a certain level of trust there. Exactly. Exactly. And if you, yeah. So it's difficult, but it's important to yeah. mention that. The, you know, you, you mentioned that interesting thing too about the kind of yeah. There's a, I mean, people are putting it under the uh, phrase of power dynamics that priests are are or seminarians are are powerless in seminary. And you talked about the threat of I'm going to get kicked out, hangs over your head. Now, for people who don't know what it's like to go through seminary, that is the number one thing. If you're authentically searching your vocation and you're authentically going that path, that is your biggest fear. Mm -hmm. It's like an existential angst that hangs over you every day in <laughs> yeah, seminary. Yeah, it's rough. It really is. You know, if I if I was late for chapel this morning, what's going to happen, right? Like it's it. I hey, I tr I struggle with that one because I mean I didn't miss often, but I I'm not a morning person, and we had to be there for six fifteen <laughs> in the morning, right? right? Yeah. And so I really struggled with the mornings, and I was always worried what would happen, but. I'm grateful, although I had a formation team who I could be open and honest with about. Mm. Like we had a rule change at the seminary where um, they made a rule that I didn't agree with. It wasn't anything, like it was no more poker, right? Oh yeah, I would also disagree and with I was that. Like, Ridiculous. I, I didn't agree with it. And I went to the rector. I said, this is why I don't agree with it. He goes, well, I'm still gonna keep the rule. I said, totally fine. You've heard me, I don't agree with it but I will submit because you're the boss and you know what's best for the whole seminary. And I, and I know he's a good rector, yeah. right? So I trust that. But I had, you see, some seminaries, some guys might not feel comfortable mm -hmm. or that they could go to a rector and say, I don't agree with this. But we had, a, we had a healthy enough atmosphere at our seminary where if we had a problem with something, we could talk to them honestly about it and they would listen. And they may not change things, but so that power dynamic changes then that you're not always worried about every. I, if you can't feel you can speak out there, then you're never going to feel like you can speak out. And it gave you the place to be an, to express yourself honestly. Right. And even though that, that power dynamic goes on and we are aware of that, this kind of mm -hmm. goes back to what we mm -hmm. said in our last episode. Ultimately, you have to trust your vocation to God, right? Yeah. You have to be authentic. You have to speak truth. But also keep in mind, you can speak truth to power without being a jerk about it, too. Like exactly. you can do so exactly. in a respectful way and, exactly. and it, it's tough, but doing that builds trust, right? Exactly. A lot of times formators don't trust seminarians because sometimes seminarians act like total a-holes in the way yeah. they talk about things or even amongst themselves. And this is not, this is something we all seminarians struggle Seminarians are jerks. With. A lot can be, yes. I, I know just talking about myself, <laughs> there were a lot of times I was. And this is not that they're all seminarians under the bus, but also keep in mind, we really, I mean, they really can be at times. And I, it's yeah. tough. It's I always yeah. hesitate cr to critique seminarians because I remember I'm only two years removed from that, and it mm -hmm. is it's a tough part of your life to live, and it really, really is. And I commend the guys for for sticking through it, especially with all that stuff going on. But mm -hmm. be courageous enough to trust God with your vocation, and to mm -hmm. even if it's unfair, 
be the first one to offer trust to your formators. Yeah. You have to do it. It might not be fair, but that's, I mean, if I were to suggest something. And if you're super ticked off at us, you can uh, always add us at Twitter and yep. tell us how wrong we are about we all We might this. not respond, but... We might not, no. <laughs> so I thought that was an important thing to talk about. So there you go. Yeah, totally. I think I think it's a good, healthy, balanced yeah. response, I think. So, all right. Well, let's uh, head into our final segment of the show. Obviously, it's presbyteral exhortations. Presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yes. 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 Quite. Yes. Quite. So, Father Anthony, are you an atheist? Well, interesting question. Uh, I tend not to consider myself an atheist because I believe in God, have been baptized, and am a Roman Catholic priest, so I'm going to go ahead and say no, I am not an atheist. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. I, I, I think there is a bit of an atheism in all of us, actually, and it's kind of what I want to talk about today. All right. So I, I had this lightning moment on Tuesday night. I was up to, like, way too late. I was up to, like, 2 a.m. that night. The synapses are going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, but you have that moment where you just have an insight and everything looks different, right? Everything looks new. Everything looks, um, um, everything looks just totally different from, from the, the, the perspective of this new insight. Yeah. And I started to realize that the church in the last hundred years has, the spirit that's been at work has been atheism atheism yeah and i've talked about this with some of the priests we know on twitter i've talked about this um uh, with some friends i've been putting this off with different people and the more i've been putting it across the more i'm thinking this is right this is kind of like it so i want to explain this a bit because i'm gonna have to explain what i mean by atheism (laughs) what do i mean by this whoa (laughs) it's a bold claim from a priest Church is full of atheists. Wait a second. So let me define a couple terms here. First, when I say atheism, I do not mean atheists. Not the same thing. I had some people on my tweets saying, oh, well, I'm an atheist. I'm like, well, that's great. I'm not talking about you, actually. I'm talking about the spirit of atheism, what it entails. The second thing is to understand that just because the spirit of atheism is at play does not mean that you are de facto an atheist. It's like what Pope Benedict calls a practical atheism. So for those who are interested in kind of the full details of what where this is coming from, I have this on my profile pinned for now. Um, it's how a bureaucratic culture has manipulated us into banality and the only way out is beauty, a thread. Whoa, look at you with your fancy thread titles. Fancy thread titles. So I've rec- we, we all recognize there's some sort of spiritual crisis at play. We know but I don't think we've fully accounted for it yet. And it's not modernism. Modernism is a symptom, not the condition itself. This is why I think like the trads are wrong when they like modernism, modernism, it's all I'm like, no. Well, first of all, shame on you for thinking trads are ever wrong. Sorry. <laughs> right? You take that back right now. Wait, are you a trad? Cause you're always right. Exactly. No, I'm okay. not. They've told me I'm not trad enough. <laughs> I say 
the fake mass. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. One day, maybe yeah. I'll be a real priest. Right. Anywho, <laughs> enough of that. So, yeah. But, you know, so modernism's not... It, they're not completely wrong, but it's still missing the mark. It's not the underlying difference. And when I wrote this thread, I still couldn't figure out what the word was. So mm-hmm. I, I talked about acedia or a kind of a cultural apathy. Yeah, but really, it's the spirit of what I'd call like a cultural atheism. You see, we, we tried the God thing. And as a culture in the West, we rejected it. Then we tried the Enlightenment. And that has also failed. We have like we, we we tried this whole thing with just trying to work on things on our own, and it, we we got tired. So we've got a bit of like what I'd call like a cultural exhaustion. We're fed up to strive for more. We're done. We just want things. As long as I feel good, I can kind of make it through life. I'm happy. But we also aren't willing to go the other direction, right? The complete the complete way that that entails. We don't want to be nihilists. Right. Nihilism is this idea that nothing matters. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. Everything is subjective. Like really, yeah. there is no purpose and all that that entails. Right. But we want deep down, our we recognize our heart also wants to say that there's a guarantee for something in life, like that there is some meaning here, that there is purpose in all of this. And so that's why I think we, we grasp tightly to God, even though we experience his absence deeply. We don't really understand him as we as he was known in the past. I think our encounters with God today are vastly different than in the Middle Ages. I think okay. our experience of him is probably a lot more limited because of of all the the, the structures that we've placed around us. That actually, I think it, it, it's like there's blinders um, that are placed in front of us that make it just hard to see through them. Am I making sense so far? I think so. I'm going to have questions. Okay. But keep going. You want me to keep going? Okay. Yeah. So we want a safety net, right? We want want something to say, okay, I don't have to commit everything for a God because I'm kind of tired of him. But I also don't want to fall into the nihilism that comes from rejecting him. We want something that's going to be in the middle. This is why I think like Nietzsche is, is kind of right in so many ways. So this is where I come up with the idea that we are cultural atheists. And this is, this comes from this idea that we as a church lost confidence in the liturgy. We're a church that lost confidence in the teaching that Jesus has given us through the magisterium. We're a church that lost confidence in the moral precepts that come from knowing Jesus Christ. And fundamentally we, because of the wars, I would even say it kind of really kind of put it in our face. Mm-hmm. We're a God that lost confidence in a in a we're sorry we're a church that lost confidence in a God who could actually really affect change and bring redemption. Mm-hmm. If this God was real, where was He at Auschwitz? Right. Right. Yeah. And it's a important. It's a very important question. Yeah. So this is why we, we kind of put him off to the side. This, he's stopped doing what we thought he needed to do for us. And so we like the effects of God. We like the idea of some moral teachings, what we'd call values and stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. But we don't want his transcendence. Okay, I'm going to try to maybe put this in different terms and see if sure. uh, I'm with you on this. Okay. So 
I think we as Christians, we like this idea that there is the secular world and then there is the church world. Like we're mm-hmm. not, we're not secular. We're Christians. We believe in God and we go to mass on Sundays. Right. Yep. Uh, but I think what happens is that for many families and for many people, they first grow up in the secular world. Like I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people, I think, I mean, this is goes for myself. I didn't grow up as a Catholic first. Right. Catholicism ended up being something on the side. Yeah. So we bring, we breathe in this air of the world and we exactly. even bring it through our church doors. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think most people are going to, and you would agree with this, I think, agree consciously with what you're saying. But I right. think practically speaking, that's what goes on. Exactly. Um, because, I mean, just in little things like this, like, um, if we really believe that God, <laughs> if we acted like we believe that God existed, when we went on vacation, wouldn't exactly. we plan mass first? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, or if we were something like a school sport, as fun as that is, that wouldn't take precedence over worshiping the one holy God on Sunday, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it yeah. seems like we are okay with God. He's allowed to like give us some good feelings here and there, yeah. right? He's a, and, but we're not going to trust him with our actual lives. Whenever there's something almost, there's like the real world. Like we're not going to trust God with our finances or trust God with our schedules because um, we've got other things that are going on. Because mm-hmm. religion's really nice, but I also, I've got to get stuff done, and God's not going to do that. Exactly. And this kind of idea is not played out consciously in our minds, but it's kind of just how we act, and it's, it's back there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, one of my friends put it, is God the realest thing in your life? Yeah. Right? And, or it's how Pope Benedict translates the Our Father. Give us this day the super substantial bread. Give us the bread that really matters. Give us the bread that really changes things, right? This is all, you're exactly right. This is why I think people will resist this because they're thinking I'm attacking it from a notional level, which I'm not. I'm attacking it from an experiential lived out level that our actions betray our beliefs. If that makes sense. Our actions betray our beliefs. Yeah, so I think there's a little bit of this at play with all of the scandal right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because all, all the scandal is going on, and there's... Of course we're going to be distressed. Of course we're going to be upset and saddened and angered. I think all that is perfectly fine. It's mm-hmm. perfectly normal and actually healthy. Mm-hmm. But then there's this kind of panic and despair yeah. because we feel like we have to be the ones to fix this because if we yep. don't, it won't be fixed. Exactly. Now, we need to make a distinction here because we are not saying we just sit back. We're not, we're not saying this is a kind of quietism where we just sit back yeah. and God will kind of wave a wand and fix things. That's not what we're saying at all. Right. Right. And this is where it gets tricky, I think, to talk about. But do we actually trust that history and the church and all of reality is really held in God's hand yeah. in a serious, yeah. meaningful way? Like some of us, we keep reading every single article. We keep examining every single statement because we feel like if we don't, if I don't know all this stuff, then uh, there's this angst, like the church is gonna fall apart. Like I have to be the one to fix it 
or control right. it or own it. And that's mm-hmm. making people like super frustrated and super angry and increasingly mm-hmm. bittered and is mm-hmm. destroying their faith because there's a part of their faith that is not relying on God. It's relying on themselves and their own knowledge and control yeah. of the situation. I think that's what's causing yeah. a lot of pain right now in people. Yeah, totally. And I, I think it's, uh, I think you hit all, all the right, right points with that because with the scandal, it, and I think the scandal is in many ways a result of this practical atheism that oh, we've yeah. kind of lived in. And it's like, I, yeah, there's so much I can say. I, I, I think the key is like your, your point about this quietism, like you used the right word. I was like, exact word I was thinking. So that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, the it's is god the primary actor right yeah that's the key is god the is he the first one to be acting is he the one who's really in charge i have a role to play in that absolutely i am not the first i am not god (laughs) i am not the first actor (laughs) yeah surprise um so i that's the key is is recognizing god's the primary actor to trust that he's really god if he's really god he's going to do things i think a lot of what's happening right now is the result of god doing his work to and, and read the my gosh this all the stuff is telling me over and over again read the old testament <laughs> read it read it read it. Yeah. it it shines a light onto our situation anew because the church is the fulfillment of israel so all of these stories of israel speak into the life of the church right now mm-hmm. and tells us god's in charge and things got really bad for israel yeah <laughs> really like, <laughs> like really really bad almost incomprehensibly bad yeah like we forget i think how shocking it was to their psyche when the temple was first destroyed like mm-hmm. that was the impossible thing that was never how can that possibly be a part of god's plan yeah but it was exactly ultimately exactly and and it and it was and and even if it wasn't necessarily like god's plan in the sense like okay i want this temple destroyed that it was like the events of history per se mm-hmm. god used it yes to bring about his plan right mm-hmm. like it's essentially to say again it's it's god's the primary actor here and he involves us but it's also about, this is where prayer is really important what is my role in this okay what is my role in all of this yeah. in a response the, the statement you said that this is all kind of god's working through all of this yeah uh yeah. And I absolutely agree. I, I was getting in some sort of conversation on Twitter about um, why are we electing or ordaining bishops who in no way we would ever think about, there's no way they could be a pope, right? So like, right. maybe this guy could be a bishop, there's no way he could ever be a pope. And part of me was like, that seems like a wrong way to go about things. Mm-hmm. Not that every bishop who is ordained, you know, um, is necessarily, it has to be the pope or whatever, but like, what shouldn't the qualities be the same for the bishop of rome and the bishop of wherever right because the pope is first amongst equals exactly so i said that like why are we doing that and then father uh dan at frocket dan he said to punish us for our many sins and it came off as kind of like this quip but there's something very truthful to that like god allows us to totally screw up God will allow these things as a punishment. So if we Hmm. treat the church like this human institution that we have to fix and make and create and build and save, he'll be like, okay, here are the consequences. And in a very real way, that is punishment for our sins. You're freaking out. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Oh, preach it. (laughs) Preach it. Uh, (laughs) 
Yes, exactly. And it's kind of actually it's a great segue into kind of how I want to continue this too, right? Because this is what happened, right? We 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 lost confidence in God. Yeah. Because of, and I, I think the war has really kind of brought it out in us. We we saw, you see mm-hmm. a religious revival after the war, but it quickly disappears in the '60s and '70s. It was a surface level thing in so many ways, but and so the church, we because of our sin, we lost confidence in God, and so we saw the church just as a place for human advancement, for power, for control, etc. And so, mm-hmm. but we also did, and we kind of fell into the belief God doesn't really change things. Yeah. So, but we don't want to fall into that nihilism that's always knocking at the door. So we, as a church, have to kind of tell you know. Well, I think I think another thing just with nihilism, like nobody yeah. can, nobody can be a practical nihilist for long. Like no. if you actually are nihilistic, then I mean you would end your life. There's no point in it. Like everyone, even people who think they're nihilistic or think they're utterly atheistic cannot live their lives that way which as a side note i think a good test of any philosophy or religion is can you actually live your life that way and atheists you can say you hold these beliefs or nihilists can say they hold these beliefs but there's no way they can actually continue to live them so i just want to throw that out. exactly why i kind of always ask the nihilists why are you still alive yeah which is i mean let's get to it let's get to like the biggest question like that that's is the it. biggest question, and, yeah. and they'll, they'll try and I'm like, no, no, that's the question. Until you're willing to answer it to me, I won't believe you. Yeah, right. So anyway, so yeah, we we built. So the church then becomes this place that people can flock to, to not fall into their nihilism, mm-hmm. but also they don't actually. It does, it's not going to demand anything of them anymore. Yeah. So we create bureaucracies, and we create these institutions, and we create these activisms as places where we can feel good for ourselves that okay the music's gonna make me feel good now it's medicinal right it's like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, feel, I'm getting that med- like oh, i feel good coming out of church or um i did this good deed look at how good i feel now uh, right it became therapeutic right it's one of the things we can talk about in that phrase is that moral therapeutic deism but slowly and steadily we made compromises that actually undermined our identity for the sake of not losing people which, by the way, we lost a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Because I, I'm, a lot of people, even if you don't feel it or think it consciously, you, you know that this mm-hmm. is a charade. Like you can kind of tell. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that, that comes down to our actions. Exactly. Um, so this is why liturgy became banal. Mm-hmm. Architecture got ugly. Mm-hmm. We started using felt banners. Um, oh, man. We're going to start yeah, making people angry. Sorry, felt banners. I'm, I'm willing to die on that hill. No, it's good. It's good. Um, and uh, and I'm not saying, like, you know, it's important to say, I, this is not like some, there wasn't like some secret society uh, in the back room saying, okay, how can we get atheism into the church? <laughs> right. Sorry, it wasn't the no. Masons. Um, it wasn't the Masons. No. Uh, it, it, was, it was the spirit of the age, and the, we, 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 we stopped being a people who believed in God, and so the spirits got into us too, not just priests and bishops, but also the laity. Mm-hmm. It's all of us, okay? You bring up this kind of societal thing about, uh, especially the, the two world wars. Yeah. And certainly the shockwaves of those things culturally and as a society, they have lasting effects. But also to bring up the fact that most people don't, haven't experienced those two wars, right? Most people mm-hmm. like living even now. Mm-hmm. I think most people yeah. living 
I'll just speak with my, my generation. Yep. So my generation and your generation, our generation, grows yep. up in this world where they are expected to create their own meaning. They mm -hmm. said all these things, we, you have perfect freedom. You can choose your job, you can choose your college, you can choose your lifestyle, your um, whoever you want to sleep with or be with or how you ever want to live. And these mm -hmm. things, you choose them and they make you happy. And okay, fine, I'll go do it. And the more and more my generation does those things, the less and less, I mean, the more and more they realize that none of these things have made them happy. Like, mm -hmm. why is there so much depression and so much anxiety in the world? Mm -hmm. Because the world keeps telling us, do these things to make them happy. And, and, you, and you receive no happiness. So it has to be yeah. me. I have to be doing something wrong. Am I actually lovable? Am I good? Who am I? I don't know. I'm just going to yeah. keep memeing things on the internet. And it, it spirals into this, like, depression and anxiety and bitterness. And then they go to religion and they go to the church. And if they see this kind of, to be honest, hokey music or banal liturgy, they're like, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why there are so many quote unquote like young trads and why people are drawn mm -hmm. to that more traditional thing. But I think there's a danger even in that mm -hmm. because the, even the extraordinary form of the liturgy can have the same effect as the the, the Parisian worship or the folk band, it's a different way of getting at the same thing. Am I just approaching this liturgy because it's novel? Right. Does that or make sense? Because it makes, I, it makes me feel good. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like oh, that's what I'm trying to say. makes me feel good. Right. Um, now, I think there's... Yeah, that's fair. Because uh, I don't want to go too far with that, Point. but I think there's something yeah. to that as well. That there's a yeah. lot of people who don't have an understanding of the liturgy, but this one just makes them feel better. And that can't be enough. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. This is, uh, eh. But yeah, I think that's something that, that needs to be said as well. Yeah. You know, part of the reason I think we're both kind of humming and hawing a little bit, this yeah. is something we're still kind of working out ourselves. Because sure. when you get a new idea like this, like we, we were talking about this and you're like, yeah, dude, that's it. <laughs> right? Um, right. There's something in our guts it, that it, says this is right. Yeah, this is right. I'm an atheist sometimes. <laughs> in my actions. In my yeah. actions. How much... When I don't want to pray as long one day, as like I'm maybe committed to my own day, I'm saying God isn't real enough to me. Yeah. I'm making that choice and I'm reinforcing that attitude by that choice. It's a practical atheism, right? And that's the spirit of it all. And it forms us. Our actions will form us to want to grow closer to God or to walk away further from him. Mm -hmm. And as a church, like this, we... We got into this atheism because then we, we really did say the sacraments don't matter. The church doesn't matter. The liturgy doesn't matter. Well, so we can yeah. form it. We can form mm -hmm. it to make you feel good. And that's why you'll come. Well, how many Catholics or former Catholics have you spoken to who either their kids or themselves, they fell away from the church and they started going to whatever, the Lutheran church down the street. Right. There's this lack of the belief that the church is real and that's how you encounter Christ and that's how you're saved. Like deep down inside, we feel like, and that's, I mean, that gets the issue of communion as well, right? Like why not just have everyone receive communion or why can't I just go to the Lutheran church and see communion? And by the way, Lutherans, hi, you're great. We love you, but we're speaking from a Catholic perspective right here. So not, don't get like too offended, but um, 
but we believe that the Eucharist is the Eucharist and you don't find that in a Lutheran church. But a lot of Catholics have lost that feeling or that knowledge. Right. No, exactly. You had, I had a point that was like, yeah, I want to say this now. I hate it when you have that moment where you're like, I have this really cool idea and now it's gone. Oh my God. Use your brain powers. I'm trying Use to it. Oh, think it's it gone. through. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone forever. Oh, that's. Sad. I think it's gone for now. Maybe it'll pop up at okay. some other point here. It was a good. Po- I know it was because it was I'm something. I'm sure it was my... brilliant. You're a pretty smart guy. Thank you. You're just... um, <laughs> I try. Uh, I, 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 for me, it's you know, I, I'll be honest. In all of this, yeah. In the last month, I've taken on an even more quote unquote traditional position. What do you mean? Right. Well, but I don't mean it in the trad sense of only the extraordinary form, blah, blah, blah. But right. I'm like, I'm starting to see, for example, with the bureaucratic life of the church. Yeah. And I remember my other ideas. So remind me about institutions in a second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was about, um, but the way the bureaucracy works and the stories you hear after the council about people who worked on the liturgical commission, you realized a lot of stuff was pushed through unorganically yes that wasn't the desires of the council yes and what we got today is not what the council desired i'm not saying it's not valid it is very valid i say it every day yeah but it helped me to start to appreciate that the form of liturgy as as the church had has given it for the last two thousand years yeah some some stuff is missing at the very least in her form Mm -hmm. maybe not the content but in her form that communicates the content of faith that we've lost mm-hmm. and i think that's sad and so i recognize that more now seeing all this stuff i realize it's just a bunch of guys in rome who just said this is what we think is a good idea and forced it all on us yeah yeah there's something to now people are gonna be listening to this and thinking to themselves no fathers i've been going to mass for 40 some years and i still love jesus and the mass is fine and I really love our folk band, and they're good people who are very prayerful, and they're excellent musicians, and they play guitar super well. What are you talking about? I think there's something to that objection. Like, there are just very faithful people who understand the heart of the Mass, and the form it takes might not affect them personally. Now, other thing is, I think, whenever we assume, no, I'm very holy, Part of me is like, ooh, the human heart's very tricky, and we love to believe that we're holy, right? Um, so you have to be careful with that, too. Uh, but where do you see young people being drawn to? Where do you, I mean, you see it to more traditional forms. And some kind of go crazy, and they lose all trust and authority, and they go to this kind of radical place uh, because there's no competent authority to guide them. But there is a resurgence of this desire to sacrifice and to believe and live in a thing that demands something of you. Like God demands everything of you and we want that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So my point that I forgot earlier that I remembered, it 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 comes, it comes up. Okay, go for it, yeah. I'm getting older, I'm 35, I'm getting older. Uh, Oh my goodness, so old. Everyone 36 and older is gonna hate me now. I'm I'm looking Um, for a new, younger co-host the cooler younger co-host priest so just send uh your tweets to at clerical pod and we'll we'll figure out uh so institutions let's i want to talk a bit because um a good friend of mine on twitter uh uh chris um we were talking he's the guy he really helped we were really 
I was up till 2 a.m. because him and I were texting back and forth mm-hmm. for like three hours on this idea. He uh, And he said, you know, we have to be careful about blaming institutions all the time too. Yeah. Because the church has an institutional element to it that's always going to be there because she's human. Yes. And because she's... So I want to make the distinction between institutions and institutionalism, if if that makes sense. The institution for the sake of the institution or institution at the service at the, of the spirit that gives life to us. And you mentioned it earlier, and that's what kind of got me to remember was this idea that, no, the liturgy draws us to the church. Well, the church has an institutional element. She's got parishes. She's got a hierarchy. And that the liturgy itself is the thing that is the greatest institution. I mean, we call it the institution narrative, right? <laughs> it, it's it's the place where we are instituted. We are, we are given yeah. life into the body of the church. And it's the liturgy that's the place of that encounter. But it's the it's when we allow the bureaucracies to form liturgical policies and um, and so on and so forth to a negative effect where yeah. we're having all these committees that are talking about what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. I'm like, no, that's missing the whole point. Let's get back to what the meat and potatoes of liturgy is. And I think, you know, and this is where, again, we, we've talked about this a bit. Yeah. The, the, the tra- that traditionalist attitude to some of this, it's right, but it's also wrong yes. in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Because they're right. Their liturgy battles are a big part of it. Yeah. Because it's the place we communicate who we are. Save the liturgy, save the world, Father Harrison. Right. That's how it works. I know, exactly. <laughs> but it's but there's a deeper yeah, spiritual element that. behind yeah. that, right? And that's and that's the practical atheism that said, this stuff doesn't matter. I don't care. I just want to feel good when I leave church. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, that's not always going to happen. I love, I remember seeing this when I was in Lourdes. Our Lady said to Bernard, St. Bernadette, I cannot promise you happiness in this life, but I can promise it to you in the next. Mm. And I thought, that's it. Yeah. I'm not going to be happy every day. Nope. I'm not going to be happy Sometimes every day. you're going to be sad. Yeah. And, <laughs> and or you're going to suffer. But guess what? Was Jesus happy on the cross? Oh, my goodness. This brings up a whole other thing that I've been <laughs> preaching about a whole bunch. I think it's probably related that, like, for so long, I feel like we've been trying to sell people Jesus. And if you just buy Jesus, if you just take some Jesus, then you'll be happy forever at the end. Yeah. And we haven't prepared. And I, I see it in funerals, especially. We have not prepared our people for the cross. And whenever... No any little cross strikes so many of us we just buckle completely we just (laughs) fall to the ground and we're done yeah and we forget that if we're going to bear the name christian we must also bear the cross exactly and we'll talk about in our next episode about no you're not gonna have happiness every day but there is this underlying peace that is actually the most satisfying thing but we'll get to that next time but yeah or or the idea that joy doesn't equate to happiness right that's a good that's a practical it's the other one it's like everyone thinks oh i'm joyful which means i just have this happy positive feeling i'm like no yeah. no it's not it, it, it's it's there's a i mean it's a self-helpism again but that's the attitude of the age that we need to just i think we just need to stand more firmer saying this is who we are this is our identity and this and let the forms of life of the whole liturgy kind of just take over again and, and not just the liturgy but also our christian life make god real again make him the Start saying, I'm going to make choices as if God is the realest thing in my life. And he, you will encounter him. 
you will encounter him. You will know him. Maybe not the same way as ages past, but you will come to know him and encounter him. And you'll see that the gospel is not something that brings happiness. It brings freedom. Yes. Jesus Christ reigns. And in so many ways, we've forgotten that. Yeah. That he came, he conquered on the cross. He is the Lord of the universe. And we need to start acting like that. Otherwise, we're acting yeah. like fools. And not the exactly. good biblical sense, in an utter ridiculous sense. Like, how dare we not treat God as God? It's ridiculous. Exactly. And that's why we're, many of us are so upset by some of the responses to this abuse crisis. It's like, where is the fear of God? You know yeah. what? Maybe we need to let a lot of things fall to the ground and burn and just exactly. fling ourselves completely on our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, Insert where's Elmo that attitude? burning gif. Yeah, exactly. Burning Elmo gif. <laughs> and just <laughs> throw ourselves right now. on Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> he's the one who's going to save it. And that's what you say exactly. when all, God's allowing all of this. He is purifying the church. And it's not yeah. going to happen in two weeks, guys. I know no. we would like the bishops to respond and they'll fix. No, 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 no. This is a process and it's ongoing yeah. and it's happening. And I don't know about you, yeah. but um, at least in my personal life, I have never prayed more and more authentically than I have in the last few weeks. Same and here. talking to a, like a lot of our friends, like the same thing. We're like, holy crap. And this goes back to mm -hmm. something we said in previous episodes. Like it's time to become holy. And but what we mean by that is throw ourselves utterly on Jesus Christ. Exactly. No, totally. And I was saying that to my a group today in my parish. I said, if we're honest with ourselves and we see these horrible things happening in the world, we would recognize, honestly, we're all just one step away from that. Yes. And that's tough for people to accept, but it's true. It's true. But you need prayer and you need grace to get you through this. And I want to, you know, I, because when we're talking about these things, it is a generational thing to an extent uh -huh. and a certain generation. I'm not blaming everyone in the generation, obviously, but um, a couple generations of, of Christians really kind of lost faith, essentially. But we've been raised in that, as you said, and we've been raised in a culture that yeah. that breathes this into us. And so we're going to have those attitudes, too. Yeah. You mentioned it with kind of that, that trad attitude. I want to say I want to say something. I know <laughs> I am probably going to get flack for this. Yeah, do care. it. Do it. Uh, want us you know we we the church has made itself in such a way that we can serve without we can do all these things without having to really worry about making an ultimate claim in our life so if you want to church you want to serve the church without sacrificing anything here are a ton of jobs for professional lay people now that they can now that they so they can have a semblance of serving the church without the sacrifice of poverty chastity and obedience right it's the ministry in the church requires sacrifice yeah Absolutely. And I'm not saying we don't need competently people in the church. I'm just saying that we've overemphasized it to the point that people start to think, I don't need to be a priest or religious. I can just be a professional person and get married. Um, that's not a healthy discernment. No, that's not a good way to go about discernment at all. Yeah. So that's... I, I can go on this for hours. This is so hot in my head right now. Yep. I could... Um, I could really, uh, I could really, because when it's a new idea, I need to process it by talking. So I'm like, let's just talk about this forever. But uh, we probably should wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts on this? No, but I think because this is kind of something that we're exploring right now, um, mm -hmm. like this is a great opportunity. Like you guys who are listening, like send us emails, tweet at us. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we, we can't respond to everyone, but um, yeah. 
let's get this conversation more and more going, I think is good. Exactly. And, you know, I might have said some things that might catch people off and say, well, are you sure about that, Father? You might need more nuance. Yeah, maybe I do. That's how you work things out, right? We are uh, sometimes, rarely, but it happens. Sometimes you're wrong about things. Yeah, but don't don't tell don't tell anybody else. Just you guys who listen to the podcast. We'll keep it our secret. Okay. No, exactly. And we do like I said, we, we, we do want to interact with you. It's just it gets I wake up every morning now. I can't see all the mentions at me anymore on my timeline. I just can't get back to them all. Yeah. But we try. We try. And we love to have this discussion. And I think it's an important discussion. And I think uh, I don't know, the fruit I've seen from the discussion of bringing this up with some of my brother priests on Twitter who I've DM'd about this, who I've like said, hey, what do you think of this idea? I'll DM another guy, what do you think of this idea? Or friends. I think this is on to something as seeing what's really at play. When you shine the light on the darkness, it's actually very freeing. <laughs> it's actually very freeing. And it's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. So Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's all we we're have gonna move on for... To, the, no, no, no. Oh. We're going to move on to our next segment. Uh, we, have, we have Tommy, right? Don't we have a Oh, one? no. We have, dude, we've been going for like over an hour now. Oh, my goodness. We have been. Oh, sorry, this is Tommy. embarrassing. We're really sorry. Oh, we promise. We did promise. We promise. We promise. We know you've been on hold for an hour and a bit. We had technical difficulties yeah. halfway through the show. That's you were awkward. on hold, and we truly appreciate it. But we'll have you on next week. So okay. uh, please uh, tell your friends about our podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, all the other possible places, SoundCloud that you are uh leave reviews please so that it can help other people hear about the we hope the good work of this this podcast share it with your friends you can email us at clerically speaking at gmail.com our twitter handles at clerical pod i'm father harrison at father harrison i am father anthony at father sharapa and this has been this week's episode of clerically speaking thanks everyone and god bless you peace